If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in this amazing marriage. My name is Amber, and who am I joined by? Ben. Hey, Ben. And today on episode 20, we will be discussing the movie His House. This is a Netflix horror directed by a black man, Remy Weeks, and it was pretty terrifying. Before we get into the movie, I just want to ask all you listeners out there, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you feel so inclined, you better feel inclined. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings really help get the word out there about black science fiction and fantasy. And also, if you really feeling the kids, please go over to our Patreon. You can find that link in our bio. We have a link tree on Instagram. Just give a little something every month to help us produce this amazing show. Now, Ben, let's talk about this phenomenal movie. I think I watched 10 minutes of it through my fingers. Right. It was so terrifying. It was. You know, I realized that we have such a stable life that mm. I think watching yeah, horror, that. I think watching horror movies sort of helps us bring some shared trauma, which is what this movie is all about. It it helps us bring shared trauma. What do you mean? Yeah, I think you don't really know someone until you are in a highly stressful situation with them. And so our shared trauma is watching horror films. I know, isn't that really Trash. isn't that really <laughs> pathetic? It's pathetic. But it's good. I mean, I don't want, I don't need to share trauma with you. I can share uh, cocktails and board games. I I have shared trauma with, you know, others, but I I don't, I don't also need it with, you know, with you right now. Uh, Talking about trauma and shared trauma, happy Black History Month. Wow. Black History Month is about like uplift and black excellence. I'm sorry. In elementary school, all I taught was taught about like black history was slavery. I yeah. Think. Same. I think most people they're only talking right. about black history is slavery, and then everything was okay after MLK. Yeah. Right. That's who was fucking assassinated. Listen. I don't know why do we end with Black History Month in elementary school. In the 90s with everything being okay after MLK. What do you mean? It's like, oh, slavery, and then nothing happened. And then Jim Crow. Oh, that's so true. It's just like, because they want to, you know how teaching goes sometimes. It's like, oh, I used this curriculum last year. Let me just like recycle it for this year. But that also happens with like fun things. 
sadly. Mm-hmm. I used to really love putting on the Black History Month program at my old school. But I, too, even, like, I would start finding images of uplift and things like that. And then I would find, like, you know, some really good important messages for from Black Lives Matter and all these rallies. And so I was always torn between, like, should I just keep it about this? Or should I sprinkle a little bit of, like, <clears throat> should I sprinkle a little bit of, like, people getting arrested uh, and all these other injustices? I don't know. It's so hard. But I'm choosing this month to just keep it with the uplift I guess with the exception of this movie <laughs> and and it's horror but there's also some funny parts in the movie as well are there yeah I think I missed those yeah there are some funny parts so this movie is about a couple bull and real uh, two asylum seekers who survived a torturous journey across the Mediterranean from Sudan which I was reading about that journey and a lot of people fucking drown making that journey across the Mediterranean Sea to seek for asylum. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it follows their struggle to assimilate in London, uh, and it also addresses the trauma of surviving a civil war, and it deals with uh, living in a dilapidated building um, that is actually haunted by a monster called an apeth or a night witch. It's like, it wasn't enough that the freaking building was dilapidated. Like, that actually could have just been the horror story for me. But carry on. Yeah, you know something about dilapidated buildings. Can oh, just keep going. Why don't you just finish I telling the people sh- about the story? I'm done. I think let's focus on dilapidated buildings, by the way. Oh, and my gosh. things running through the walls. Yes. So, a couple, quick story time. Uh, a couple years ago, I would say almost four years ago at this point, I needed to move closer to my job. So I was really looking to relocate south. If you're not familiar with Chicago, there's like north side and south side and like, you know, west side as well. But uh, I taught on the south side of Chicago and I was living way far up north. So I was spending an hour to an hour and 45 if there was traffic commuting every day. So I was like, I need to move back south. But I was in a time crunch because my lease was running out with my roommate. So I had to find a house that I could afford, you know, with my teacher earnings. And also I had a huge ass dog. And so if you live in apartments, a lot of places like they charge for dogs and especially a dog that's like 80 pounds like Gucci. So I was on a time crunch and we were visiting your family that summer. So I I was like, I got to go get this dog and myself set up so I can meet Ben's family for the first time. Now that I think about this, it was five years ago. Anyway, in a hurry to like make everything all perfect, I found this like amazing black couple in Bronzeville that just sort of posed themselves. It's like, we've been living in the neighborhood for years and um, we really like to rent out the room upstairs. So they lived on the first floor and I would live on the second floor. And the house was not finished, but I went to see the house maybe a month in advance. And I don't know how renovations work and shit like that so I was like oh this can be done in a month of course as you know as you can imagine that shit was not even a little bit done and so I mean even like simple things y'all I'm talking like knobs on doors uh I I remember the day I moved in they were like well everything works but the kitchen and the bathroom I was like I'm sorry everything works but the kitchen and the bathroom so what I cannot make any meals and I can't shit them out okay I'd actually rather you not be done with the bedroom than the kitchen and the bathroom. And, I mean, there were just so many issues with the house. I will say that I I lived there for four months before I, uh, me and a roommate wrote this, like, letter of all of the horrors of the house. 
and I didn't have to pay rent any of those four months. So I saved four months of rent so that I could move out because they couldn't charge me when simple things were happening. Like, Ben, ben do you remember one of the worst things that happens? Like, we needed a new paint job in one of the rooms. So they were like, oh, we're going to send somebody over to the house to paint. And so while we were out, they sent this couple over to the house to paint. Actually, they just sent him. He brought his girlfriend. I guess they had just went swimming or some shit in Lake Michigan. Yeah. So I get there and I see water droplets because they're still soaking wet from this excursion. I go to the back room and these motherfuckers are turning up. Like they're not having sex or anything, but they're just drinking wine out of a bottle and they're like painting the house. And I was like, uh, hello? Uh, and they were like, oh, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, let, we got to get out of here because we didn't know what time you were coming. So let us, let us clean up this room for you and then we'll go for it. And I was like, that's very odd that somebody who's painting a room wants to take out my trash now. Like, what the fuck is that about? Lo and behold, these motherfuckers have, were drinking wine out of my fridge. My fridge. And they didn't want me to find out about it. And I knew it was a nice wine because somebody gave it to me when I moved in. They were like, oh, happy move. Hope it goes well. I mean, that wine was probably cursed anyway. But, like, have you ever have you ever come home and a, a service person was consuming your food or whatever? Like, I, I, I'm totally down to offer people water and shit. But taking wine from my fridge and drinking the shit. No. And, and that was half of it. Like, when the mice came, I was like, I got to get the fuck up out of here. Because mice are like a true symbol that you have lost control of your life. Right, Ben? And then we moved into a house that had tons of other mice. You've had rodents before, haven't you, Ben? Yeah. I lived in a house where there were squirrels running through mm. the walls. And the way my landlord decided to deal with it is that one day she just came over and dropped a cat off at the house. Yeah, classy. Trying to save money on this bitch. <laughs> what the fuck? Anyway, if you are a renter in Chicago, Ooh. you will be taken advantage of. It's, oh, an, it's the nature of it. It's even, really sick. And, oh my God, Ben. It, I mean, this house could have been a freaking, you know, docu-series on Netflix because I have two neighbors like, oh, that, that beautiful, like black couple. Yeah. They moved to Texas uh, a month after I moved in. And the woman was an alcoholic. I remember every time I saw her, she was like drunk out yeah. of her mind. Whether it be Probably some heavy drugs as well. Eight o'clock in the morning or, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the afternoon. But this house was huge. It was like four bedrooms. So me and my roommate each got two rooms to ourselves. Huge layout, but it just wasn't done. Yeah, and the molding on the side, there were just cracks everywhere. It just did not look good. And also we had, it was a duplex. So there was a neighbor upstairs who was like a recluse who would blast music all freaking night long. He would occasionally come down and ask me for money. And then underneath, there was this guy who was recently released from prison for, let me say this honestly, raping a 15-year-old girl on the CTA. He was recently released from that charge that he had done 12 years prior and he was hosting a full radio show out of his, like not a podcast, a radio show. So there were people in and out. It was unsafe. There were no knocks, like no knocks on doors. I'm, I'm seriously shocked that I didn't get like attacked because one time we did call the police for a noise complaint and the next morning he got in my face and he was like, oh, so we call the police now? Like, okay, well, next time you call the police, it's going to be for a reason. I was like, huh? And do you remember the blood on the stairs? <laughs> it got crazy. It got crazy. I'm so glad I, I survived because I was supposed to die in that house. I really was. 
back to the movie. The other thing that this movie does really well, <laughs> besides showing the horrors of living in a house that's not maintained or cared about landlords, is it shows this gendered uh, dichotomy, this gender separation when men try to take over fixing a house. Ooh. So the husband in this bull tries to do all these jobs throughout the house and he ends up like peeling paint and end up breaking a bunch of mm-hmm. holes and walls. His reason is legitimate because there is this haunting that's going on in the house. But it made me think of how when I try to you know, mm. DIY things in our when house. When you try to do what? DIY. Is it DIY? What do you think it is? What do you think the, I always, the I initials stand for? Do it yourself. Right. So it's DIY. And that, what just happened there, is truly a metaphor for what happens when you try to DIY. No, I tried to fix something in our fridge, and I ended up spilling water everywhere. And finally, I just called a plumber... And the plumber fixed it within. Oh, that broke because of you. Ten minutes. No, it broke because we kept moving the fridge. The first time it broke, we kept on moving the fridge. But then when I tried to fix it, I just used the wrong material because I'm not For a sure. fucking plumber. Yeah. The other thing I did try to fix though was our washer and dryer, and I was actually successful yeah. in that. That did. I would say altogether with everything going on, that took you about a month. But I will say, that shit works now, Ben. Like, it's hard to fix a dryer. Like, you were at it for hours. Whereas, like, I can't I can't fix shit. I'm too impatient. I don't fully read the instructions, as you know. Don't look at me like that. I'm admitting it. I'm admitting it, right? You also don't read dimensions of things when you order anything from Amazon. I just say I don't read the instructions. Because the dimensions don't really matter. It's just, like, fine. What was your first impressions of this movie? (laughs) I really enjoyed this movie. It's not one of those movies that you would watch like over and over, but I thoroughly enjoyed the movie and not to get into spoilers right now, but there were some really great twists at the end that I truly didn't see coming. I would have, and give me some credit. I'm really good at sort of predicting like, like you do a good job of predicting the overall plot, whereas I do a good job of like, that character is the villain. I know it. That character is the one who also has superpowers. I know it. Like, I'm good at that. But you're good at saying, like, oh, you know what's going to happen overall with everybody. So, I I was still, like, had inklings about things but wasn't sure. But the movie, like, just busted my head wide open. They were like, oh, oh, you think you know the twist? Well, I'm going to twist your twist. It was like that. What was your first impression of the movie? It really made me understand that I think as someone who has a house, who lives in the country I was born in, who speaks the language of this country, I really have no fucking idea what it means to be an immigrant. And this Mm -hmm. film did a really powerful job of exploring this couple's trauma of going through a civil war, of traveling across the Mediterranean And one of the big part of this trauma is that when they're traveling across the Mediterranean, their boat flips over and their daughter who was with them drowns. And you find that out in the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. And it's about them dealing with that trauma and also trying to fit in. So I, I was left 
feeling that you really have no idea. You you cannot make an ethical judgment on their decisions because they do some pretty ethically questionable things. But when you're coming from a civil war, when you're coming from trauma, shit gets real. You do what you have to do. Despite all the horror of this film, there are some legitimately funny parts. And that sort of surprised me. I was like, oh, that's actually funny. I'm really trying to think deep about what parts were funny. So, in, the, in, the, in the opening scene of the movie, it's a flashback. Bull, the husband, is sleeping. He's dreaming. He dreams about his daughter dr- drowning. And then when he wakes up, his wife, Rial, asks him, oh, what were you dreaming about? And of course, he lies to her and says, oh, I was dreaming about our marriage. And then her response is, oh, that explains all the screaming. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was like, I, I dream about our wedding day. Oh, yeah. Our wedding day. That was cute. I think she was trying to do that to be like cynical. And, yeah. It was a legitimately funny part. It wasn't like a knee slapper. It was like, oh, that explains the screaming. It sort of set up their relationship very well. And I, I often hate married couple films but this is the ultimate married couple film i think every married couple should watch this film i i agree with that ben because their marriage seems very tight and strong Mm -hmm. and but they also they also got problems (laughs) we got problems (laughs) they got problems family from the office i mean this is what marriage is it's like it's not well, I mean, for some people it is. You know, I've been watching Selling Sunset. Some people it really is, like, fancy and clean. And But those gritty moments of, like, wow, we're actually just trying to survive together. And let's show that. That is powerful. And also, I'll say this about just, like, the actors in general. I've never seen the, the leading man who played Ball. But we've seen... Rael, the leading woman, because she plays Ruby Baptiste in Lovecraft Country. Powerful, powerful actress. I I looked up her resume as well. She's been in literally so many things. She's going to be in the new Loki film um, coming out as well. I was... Loki TV show. Loki TV show. Mm -hmm. Say it right. Eat me. Okay. I was really... I, I said this to you at the minute the... The film started, so everybody knows I, I, I get on my high horse about, like, the rise of the black British actor in America, and this is not an American film, and it is played by, it is not played by African Americans, and it's so necessary that it's not, because as African Americans, I'll, I'll just speak for myself, I wouldn't know the first thing about, like, emotionally tapping into what it feels like to be an immigrant. Whereas the parents of maybe those actors or their parents know exactly what that feels like. And so, you know, it's it's not just me saying, like, British people can't play slaves. It's like, and we can't play immigrants. As I mean, I'm sure there are movies where we have, but it doesn't register the same. Or, like, at, on a separate tangent, like, that's why it's a little bit challenging for me to watch, like, come into America because it's like Eddie Murphy's playing this like African prince and it's just like this is not funny to me <laughs> like this doesn't you know like coming to America was a huge cultural phenomenon and they're coming out with coming to America the second one but it's like I don't want to watch Eddie Murphy doing a fake Nigerian accent like I just that's not my shtick well, the creator of this movie, Remy Weeks, he says, quote, growing up in London as a person of color, a conversation we had in our community was of assimilation and how much of yourself do you give up or let 
go to give in. That's the crux of his house. Right, which is definitely something an, um, an African-American can relate to. But my parents, obviously, are very assimilated, very Americanized. Like, we're, we're so distant from whatever else it would be. Obviously, we have our own, like, Southern cultural nuances, but we're all very American. So they, I mean, they just killed it. I was like, they feel like true immigrants, like experience. They're also like, you know, very well-trained actors as well. But I just, I don't think. Your parents are well-trained actors? No, uh, the two leading stars of this film. I just don't think like a, a fucking Halle Berry or Denzel could tap into that. They just couldn't. Maybe. I mean, Forrest Whitaker played, like, Last King of Scotland, so, I mean, it could be done, obviously, but... But he wasn't... Last King of Scotland wasn't an immigrant. I know, but it was not an American story. Right. Yeah. I'm just I'm just taking, like, you know, I'm trying to make a point, and you're... I feel like you're trying to stop me from making that point. No, I... I during Black History Month. I, no, you're fine. Did you miss... What was my point? Your point was, who has the right to play certain roles that's vague make make my point more specific that's your question well you're saying that just because a black person is black doesn't mean they should be playing a black role and actually this film does uh, addresses that directly for example at one point once they're settled in london rial goes out and walks around and she gets lost and a very scary sort of scene just walking on the streets and basically these projects and she runs into these three high school boys who are obviously immigrants at some point but she addresses them and and they're black and they're black they're black and she addresses them and she uh, speaks dinka. like dinka yeah she addresses yeah. them in dinka and they don't understand her and so they're like speak english and she, they sort of harass her, eventually give her directions. But as she's leaving, they yell at her, go back to Africa. And in that moment, you're like, oh, not mm-hmm. all skin folk is kin folk type of moment, right? <laughs> oh, but, I mean, and I think that's what you're saying is that... But it's deeper than that. It's like, I actually hate when people say that. Well, I don't, I don't hate when people say that. Let me take that back. But it's so much more layered than that. It's like these kids, not that we should excuse their harassment in any way, but it's not just like, oh, this... Like, when people say not all skin folk is kin folk, they're talking about, like, there's some shady black people out here, so just watch out because all your black people are not your friends. Which is true. True. But it's like, no, these kids act this way because they have been assimilated for so long. Like, it's not just unique to those three boys. But also, the film doesn't show them with white people. It's three black kids together. Right, but there's... And so they themselves haven't even fully assimilated. Right, good point. But also, those three black kids are wearing their, like, fancy school attire. So they're in their, like, shirt and tie I think that's, from school. That's like, pretty standard. It's standard, for... but, but you didn't see the white kids in their school attire bin. Yeah. So I think they made, they made a choice to show, like, well, these boys go to school here now, and they're, you mm. know, completely ingrained in the community. Now, are there some shady-ass, snake-ass 
black people that exist in the world? Of course, because we're not a monolith. But I don't think that is a good example of not all can focus, can folk. Well, I was quoting it from a Roger Ebert review. I'm sorry, Roger Ebert said that? From his website. I think he's dead. Oh, okay. I'm saying somebody on the Roger Ebert team. Did you read the review I sent you? She doesn't read everything. I I don't read everything you send me because you send it like in the 11th hour. But I don't remember seeing that part. I'll, I'll go back and look at it. A little bit of plot. Once they have had, once they've crossed the Mediterranean, they've made their way to this part of England. It, they mention London, but the person's like, sure, I guess, maybe London. They're held in, in a detention center. Mm-hmm. And then they're given parole and given a place to stay. And their caseworker, Mark, who is the wonderful Matt Smith, one of the doctor who's... Right. You immediately jizzed yourself. I got very excited. But <laughs> this is no Doctor Who. Mark is an asshole and he is a caseworker and he basically just sees it as a job. And Matt Smith will say, oh, repeatedly, oh, this house is bigger than my house. Because like your situation, Amber, you had a very big apartment for Chicago but it was just terrible, right? Just absolutely nasty. And so there's this very insidious uh, anti-immigrant type of sentiment Mm -hmm. that Mark has. And at one point, he says, oh, I used to be a banker until they moved all the jobs overseas, giving this indication that immigrants are coming here to steal our jobs type of thing. It's very subtle, but... There's that intense anti-immigration uh, aspect to it. Hell yeah. I mean, that, that just rang so true and unique. I mean, ooh, being one of the good ones is, is language that I've heard on a job. It's like, don't be like them. Come on time. And I, I just wish I was brave enough in the past to be like, like who? No, name, like say it specifically. Who who do you mean and what characteristics are you tying with that group of people? I want to actually hear you say it, bitch. Also, something that I just I laugh ironically every time I hear this is the phrase detention center because it is a prison. Like, yeah. They are kept in this tiny room at the beginning of the movie I mean, probably a a little bit the size of a bathroom, maybe a little bit bigger, but it's them and another person that you don't know, that you don't know. And they're just literally crammed into these tiny spaces. And it is really depressing, those detention centers. They're prisons. Yeah. And I remember in college, I was working with an organization called the Catholic Worker. I would go to the roundtable discussions. I would go to protests with them. And one of the protests that I went to was standing outside a detention center in New York City where they just hold nonviolent, uh, undocumented uh, folks. And it's it's horrific. And even in Chicago, you can go mm-hmm. see that uh, in immigration court. They, like, walk them in, nonviolent and, you know, undocumented immigrants, like, in, you know, handcuffs. And it's like, what? Right. Oh. It, it's it's really awful. It's very depressing. But in this scene at the beginning of the movie, when they're being led to 
parole and being let out of the detention center, they look in one of the rooms and one of the other immigrants has tried to kill them, kill himself. Yeah. And uh, has, you know, cut, cut their wrists. And so this movie is showing like the true horror in really great horror films is never the supernatural element, mm-hmm. right? And th- this movie is hard to watch for those kinds of scenes. Yeah. Uh, and then it's also terrifying because they introduce this night witch, the uh, Apeth. Yeah, I just... That's why I hate when people are, like, Americans are like, this is the best country ever, and aren't you proud to be from here, and whatever. It's like, you didn't do shit to be born here. Like, you did not manifest that. You did not do something in a past life. Like, you were just fortunate enough to be born on this soil, and how dare you condemn other people. And I remember in, um, you know, I'm from Georgia, and when Hurricane Katrina hit, we we had a lot of students... uh, from New Orleans come to our school and they were so mistreated by so many peers. So one, I didn't have classes with any of these students because I was in accelerated classes and they were these students. And it wasn't a whole bunch because, you know, Georgia and Louisiana are very far apart, but all of these students were put on, you know, a lower academic track. So I never shared any classes with this group of kids. So they were all, assumed because of this horrible flood they were all assumed to be like well y'all don't know anything you're not educated we're gonna put you in these lower classes academically um and then even I remember classmates like at lunchtime like making fun of their accents or there was this one guy his name was Curtis he was fine as fuck I I vividly remember he was fine as fuck we rode the bus together uh that's how I got to know him but I never took any classes with him and one day, you know how some days at school, well, maybe you don't because you were homeschooled, but some days at school, there's like Fridays where everybody brings a dish or whatever prepared by mm-hmm. their family. And it doesn't have to be anything like super cultural. It could just be like, oh, bring a pot of macaroni and cheese or whatever. So this one class had a potluck. And I remember when I was in maybe sixth grade or so, Curtis got on the bus with this huge uh, tin full of jambalaya and it was the end of the day. And the jambalaya was still full. I, I cannot believe I'm remembering this. And I was like, what's up, Curtis? He always played cool. I was like, what's up? I was like, why do you have this big tin? He was like, oh, there was like this potluck thing at one of my classes today. I was like, damn, that looks good. He's like, yeah, yeah. And I watched him get off of the bus and throw it in the trash can. Because, and, and as the bus drove off, I, I remember kids being like, yeah, nobody wanted to eat that shit. Like, whatever, whatever. Like, we've never seen that shit. Because we don't eat jambalaya. I mean, there I'm sure there are, like, South Georgia homes that make jambalaya. But they were, like, not familiar with it. And so people... And Curtis was one of the Curtis students was, from New Orleans? Yes. Yes. He, you know... And, and who knows if his He immigrated. Family, he immigrated. When you, th- when you think about it, that situation, like, you're an asylum seeker. Even in the right. United States, even in right? The US. So his home had flooded. He had been re- he had been completely taken out of his ward, forced into our school, forced on a lower academic track, and he tried to participate and probably brought the best fucking potluck dish in the group and nobody wanted to eat his food because people would be like, "Well, he stinks. He's whatever whatever." And it was just the saddest thing ever to see, you know, for me, a huge tin foil 
full of rice and sausage and shrimp be discarded? You know, that's the real horror of this entire story, right? Uh, all of that rice being wasted. But I remember getting home and I was asking my mom, I was like, this kid at my school made this like jambalaya thing and nobody ate it. She was like, what are you saying? But, but, but I now know like there were just so many layers to that. I cannot believe I remember that. But that shit was so freaking sad. I like think you do all of that. And, and I know, I know that if Curtis had immigrated from like, Germany or Japan because at one point we had like Japanese students immigrate to our school yeah. they were treated like the coolest motherfucking kids in school why because they had all these like cool mp3 players and gadgets and tools that we didn't have here and I why do I know that they were treated that well because I was in gifted classes and they were just put into those classes you know what I'm saying so it's just it's it's anti-black when it comes to immigration or like Mexican families, Puerto Rican families, but like when Canadians and, you know, French students immigrate, even though Curtis can speak French, they're just treated like trash. Yeah. I think that brings up this really strong point where immigrants, especially black immigrants, are compared to African Americans who've been here since the time of slavery, right? And they're compared together. When in actuality, we should be looking at statistics, uh, looking at black immigrants and white immigrants. And we should be asking ourselves, why are white immigrants always outperforming black immigrants? Because that is the case. Generally, immigrants, when they come, Mm -hmm. they end up doing a lot for a country as an immigrant. But oftentimes, when I'm, you know, hearing about comparisons in black communities, you're comparing black immigrant families to African-American families or African immigrants to African-American families. And that comparison just is not the comparison we should be looking at. We should be thinking, why are German immigrants and why are Chinese immigrants are doing outperforming better than African immigrants? Oh, because that's a layer of anti-blackness. Yeah, when you're like put into, I mean, I... I would love to hear, you know, we're going to go on a tangent now based on our own teaching and personal experience, which is cool with me. But, like, I remember when I was a high school teacher and I would have, like, Haitian students being like, why am I in this class? Like, why have I been placed here when I literally have shown you, like, the data that supports, like, I can perform better than this. But, like, all of my, like, Nigerian students, my Haitian students, and these kids can speak, like, two, three, four languages are just put places without someone actually saying, like, did we actually run a test on how they can perform? I mean, I would love to hear, because your, your school is very diverse, actual different countries. No, it's, it's a serious problem because my gifted classes have no black students. And the, that's been brought up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, there are no, all my black students are in my, like, regular classes. And then all the, uh, you know, La- Latino students are in the gifted uh, class. So I have a few Polish students and then the rest are Latino and uh, African-American or black students. Right. I and mean, the only reason I was like properly placed in, I mean, you can take a while. Guess why I was properly placed placed in those, dis- those gifted classes. Yeah. Marsha Thomas all day. She taught yeah. at the school and then she became a principal. So when it came to my, I mean, if I was not qualified to be in the class, like she'd be like, yo, but if I had the 
the receipts. I mean, I was in those classes. Yeah. And I was one of few black people in those classes. And I knew friends of mine that were just as intelligent as me that were not in those classes. I think oftentimes a lot of this horror that this film, let's get back to the film, His House shows are being perpetuated by other humans. So, for example, there are lots of creepy parts in this, but the creepiest part is at one point Bull walks outside to take out trash and people have been like pissing in their yard Ooh. and have been like dumping their trash in their in their yard. And so that's horrific. But then he walks outside to take out trash at one point. He looks up and there's this creepy ass, like pale white woman with white hair, smoking a cigarette. Like it's like way scarier than the actual ghost. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is it is very terrifying. There's but, nothing more terrifying than a white woman in her window. Yeah, let's let's get into the actual ghost. So the white woman. The actual, yeah. The white woman is the actual ghost. Uh, and at one point she says, why don't you just leave? They're going to kick you out anyway. Any, so a big part of this mm-hmm. is that as Bull is starting to clean the house and fix up the house, he starts to hear these voices. And he starts to hear like patter through the walls. And then he starts getting these visions of people who are drowned and specifically his daughter who was drowned and she is coming towards him whenever the, like the light is out and it's very sc- scary. Mm-hmm. I'm and like so at one point now and he's hearing it in the wall. So at one point he like peels all the wallpaper apart and then just like starts busting the walls open. And part of that is to find the person. The other part to is to re um, set up the electrical wiring, which he ends up doing and I was like, oh, the DIY. I, I feel you. I've tried to do that before. I wouldn't do any electrical wiring. So he's trying to fix this house and he gets the electrical wiring working and he tries to go out and like buy clothes and buy furniture. And all the time this is happening, Rial, his wife, is also talking to the ghost. So it's not just in his mind, right? So you know this is an actual real ghost haunting it is his daughter and it is the people have been drowning. And what we discover is that when they were trying to leave Sedan, they were trying to get on a bus and spoiler, spoiler and they end up taking a girl and claiming that it's their daughter. Like, like Titanic. Like Titanic. Like when he's like, please, I have a child. And so they get on to this bus that they escape this village that is being shot up and destroyed and in your mind like how could you do that because as they take this daughter her actual mother is running down the road shouting at them riding this bus as um, militants are coming into the village shooting everybody and killing everybody and you're like how could you steal a child like that And I think as American viewers, like, yeah, sure, we can ask that question, but we can't really ask that question, right? Because this is a family, Rial and Bull, they had jobs, like, they had a life there, and they took everything and had to leave, and Rial's 
all her family she sees murdered and shot and butchered and they are leaving and so they you know ball just did the only thing he could think of was snatch a little a little girl and use that as bartering and like how could you do that it's like well in a situation of high stress and anxiety like you do what you have to do and so because they've done this like great transgression they are being haunted by a a night witch an apeth who requires like a blood sacrifice because of this great transgression and that ends up being like the whole conflict of the film go for it all I was going to say is just like, if you need an example of like, how do things get crazy, like go from zero to a hundred with air quote civilized people involved, like Firefest is just a great example of that because these are rich ass fucking millennials who were not fed for like 24 hours and they lost their shit. <laughs> they lost their fucking shit. There was, like, violence. People were stealing. People were stealing, too. Like, I think there was, like, rape. There was rape as I mean, well. I don't know. I, I can't... I don't, I don't, I don't want to confirm things that I definitely don't know happen for sure. But, like, when rich people are not given food for 24 hours, things got real and they went. They went Lord of the Flies, yeah. They went full-ass, like, yeah, tribal warfare. So, I don't want to hear shit about, like... I, and we saw it on the Titanic. It's like all these rich people, this ship is sinking. And even Cal, who was looked made to be the villain, like when he stole a child to get on a safety boat, you kind of just got to be like, yeah, that 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 tracks. Because of this apath haunting the house and the conflict between the husband and wife gets intense, the wife, Rial, says, we have to go back. We have to go back. We can't stay here anymore. This apath is going to keep haunting us. And Bull reacts not well. He doesn't take that well because he really wants to fit in. So as they're being haunted, at one point, they get a visit from Mark who does like checkups. He's their case. Doctor worker. Who. Mm -hmm. Doctor Who. He, he comes and he is looking at their house. He's seeing that there's holes in the wall. It just doesn't look good. He look, um, Bull looks very stressed out. You know, he... As he was fixing things, he, like, cut his hand. He got blood on his, like, nice new shirt. He's probably not sleeping well. Yeah, his his bloodied, like, colonized shirt is just, like... Yeah, it's a great... So well done. It's a great image. And so he... Mark is asking Bull, like, what's going on? And Bull's like, no, everything's okay. Everything's okay. <laughs> and, of course, this is, like, what heart movies do. It's you deny anything is wrong, nothing supernatural... But <laughs> this is actually a funny scene. The great scene is that Rial walks in. It's like, oh, in English, because most of the time they're speaking Dinka to each other with white people around. But Rial walks in and is like, oh, in English, did you tell them about the Night Witch that's haunting you? And she's in like full traditional <laughs> Yeah, garb. she's in like traditional garb and sort of like giving off this image that they're crazy. But of course, the Night Witch is actually real. And uh, Mark, the caseworker, who is there with another caseworker that we don't get their name, they leave the house and they're like, oh my gosh, like they're done. They're not, they're going to yeah. be deported. They're going like, to be oh deported. God, was she wearing the bed sheets? Yeah. It, it's just, it's not, it's not a good look. And that scene was great for a couple of reasons. One, it sort of 
fucks with this trope of like, you know, we're going to deny anything supernatural. No, just tell people straight out because they're not going <laughs> to fucking believe you anyway. And then also, Rial makes a statement like they already see us as crazy. Yeah. Like, let's just give them what they already see us to be. I don't even think she's giving them anything. She's just like, let's just be ourselves because they're never going to accept us anyway. So yeah. that's just like, where's the harm in actually just being true to that self? Yeah. Bull does not to take. Yeah. Bull, Bull does not take that well. And he's like, fuck no. This is my house. His house. That's sort of the phrase. His house. Whether the his, I'm not really sure. Is it bull's house or is it mark the caseworker's house or is it the night doctor's the apeth's house that's a great question but what we know for sure this is not real's house right and bull sort of goes psycho and breaks all the locks in the doors like covers all the windows and locks real in the house and it's trying to force her to assimilate like and like Rial's she, not having it. Yeah, like she eats food with her fingers because that's what they did in her village and her tribe. And Bowl is constantly like trying to get her to use the the fork, the fork in the. <laughs> and she's like, it tastes like metal. Like, why would I put metal in my mouth? And I was like, oh yeah, why do we put metal in our mouth? Yeah, she's just not. Uh, she was. Ah, I loved her character so much. She's just like, I don't give a fuck about fitting in. I'm never gonna be accepted by these people. So I might as well just like. Stick to who I am. So essentially, Rial makes a decision after being locked out, locked into her house. She makes a decision to escape, but through her, she's unable to escape, but she does end up having a conversation with the Apeth. And the Apeth says, you know, I'll let you go, but you have to kill your husband. I really love that the film showed uh, Rael speaking to the Apeth, even though like we can't see that physical presence there like she's clearly communicating and having this like discourse with the ghosts and i i appreciate that because it didn't vilify the ghosts and the religion which you know nisi talked about that in a previous interview nisi shaw the author if you haven't listened to episode 19 do that nisi shaw talked about how we vilify a lot of like black religions and black supernatural things. And so when Ball is being haunted because he's like not listening to these ghosts and, and Rael is not being haunted by them because she's embracing them, it really makes the Apeth not seem as scary. Like we, we are taught to be afraid of the ghost or afraid of the supernatural and the magical. But when given those two di different perspectives and those dichotomies we were able to be like oh the apeth is not the actual villain here it's like ball you stole someone's child like this is the natural supernatural consequence for stealing a human being that like even Raya was like no you need to like <laughs> this ghost is telling me that you stole from him like the fuck because i mean in what movie did does one entity get along with the ghost and the other like does it? Like, I'm really trying to think about that. The ending of the movie, Rial, is allowing... Rial ends up not killing her husband, but Rial allows the ghost to start to take over Bull's body. Mm -hmm. And basically, the Apeth wants a body to take over, and that's that will stop the haunting. But then Rial 
ends up making the decision to kill the Apeth. Did you see that coming? Because I didn't. I, I did. Yeah. I, thought... I, I mean, yes, I figured that, but it was slightly confusing because the Apeth, you're saying the Apeth isn't representative of, of evil, but the Apeth is scary as shit. Once you see the full embodied Apeth, it's like this yeah, mummified monster. And it's trying to like possess and kill Bull through this like really fucked up scene where he like tries to get underneath his skin through a cut. It's Yeah. No, it's terrifying, visceral. but I would try to do that if somebody stole my child. Well, you wanna get into the size? Yeah, I guess I was slightly confused why <sighs> Rial killed. Yeah, I, I was slightly confused by that, but there's wasn't a whole lot of size as far as mm -mm. that because you are dealing with supernatural, so I can sort of like hand wave. I think those. Rial was like, hold the fuck up. I'm not just going to let somebody kill my man out here. Like, then who will I have? I, I don't even know this child. Like, fuck out of here. Well, she wants to go and find the child. And so you're sort of teased at one point. That but the maybe child does come back the minute yeah. he is given as a blood sacrifice. Yeah. The minute Ball is given as a blood, as a blood sacrifice, the child comes back in human form. Mm -hmm. And you think in your brain, like, this child and Rael are going to live together. That would have been Strange. A, a more compelling alternate ending where the Apeth possesses Bull's body and then the Apeth and Rial live together Oof. with, like the embodied child who comes back that would have been strange but i don't really know the dinka mythology behind the apeth and right. that's something that is building on actual mythology i but, love that i love when we learn some like actual folklore yeah but the ending of the movie though they don't they get rid of the apeth but they don't get rid of the ghosts i thought the ghost was the apeth no, so the Apeth is the night doc is the night witch, but then there are all these other ghosts as well. Oh, ghosts! Ghosts, right? It's all the people who were drowned. Say ghosts, plural. Ghosts. Anyway, they get rid of the Apeth. <laughs> the end of the movie, though, they're still haunted by mm -hmm. the apparitions. I think that's a fair trade. They're still haunted by the apparitions. They still see. The child that they stole and took away from her mother and who drowned. I think there's a level of comfort there as well because all of the ghosts are black and brown people and it's like, sadly, these ghosts might be our only community, these lost lives. Like when I saw the house full of people on each side, I wasn't as much scared as I was like, yeah, wow, they're not alone. Yeah, so the movie ends with this incredibly beautiful compelling scene where Rial and Bull are just standing in their apartment and they haven't they've had another meeting with Mark their caseworker their caseworker looks like it's not going to kick them out they're not going to be deported but as the caseworker leaves Rial and Bull are standing there they look across the room and they see the child who, who died and then it cuts back to them and then now the entire room is filled with what you are supposedly to presume uh, immigrants who've come over and then it cuts back to the child and there's the room is filled with the child 
um, and a bunch of other immigrants as well. And so you're left with this haunting image that one bull and Rial are never going to get rid of their haunting. Like, yeah, sure, they got rid of the night doctor, this, you know, maleficent, malvoilent spirit, but they're still going to be haunted. Is it haunting, though? I if think I was it... going to be haunted by ghosts the rest of my life, but they were like ancestors and hardworking black people of the past, I wouldn't. Yeah, would be... but it's not because at one point you see Rial, who's supposedly a school teacher, being led out of a school that has been completely shut up. And, are, and all those yeah. people who have haunted been... Haunted by the images. Haunted the by death. the images and the death and the violence that she saw that she's going to carry that with her for the rest of her life. And she's going to... Well, that's how trauma works. I mean... Yeah. Right. I think it... But I think that is what we would call the true haunting. Yeah. I didn't equate the the house filled with immigrants as the the people who, like, died in the school. That's not immediately what I thought about when I saw their I, faces. They were, like, all standing upright and strong and... Yeah. I think it's this this balance, right, where Bull and Rial are survivors, and there's this level of survivor guilt. Because, yep. that, remember, the majority of the hauntings are coming from the fact that they survived this crossing. And I was reading, there's an article, we'll put it in the chat, but a lot of uh, Sudanese men drown, and their bodies are washed up on the shore as they're making this trip across the Mediterranean. It's a it's a common thing, and so this film is building on that. There's a survivor's guilt that Bull and Rial have. Yeah. Why don't you warp up the show? In conclusion, support immigrants. Watch his house. Be fucking kind to someone if they don't speak English and they're getting bullied or being mistreated, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's at your job. Have some fucking empathy. And tip, baby, baby. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci. We will be reading next week. Next week, I'm reading my very first high fantasy novel, Master of Poisons by Andrea Hairston. So you might want to get it on audiobook, but be sure to pick up that big old juicy book. We're going to be talking about that for episode 21. Please keep liking and supporting the show, and we'll be here every week to talk about black science fiction and fantasy. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.